Welcome to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Said Business School, Oxford University, and Kantar, the data insights and consulting company. In each episode, we speak to industry leaders about the big issues in marketing, sharing evidence and inspiration for the future. I'm Andrew Stephen, the L'Oreal Professor of Marketing and Associate Dean of Research at the... A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Side Business School. I'm Amy Cashman, co-CEO of the Insights Division of Kantar in the UK. On today's podcast, we are joined by Louise Agron, who is the CMO of The Racing Post. Welcome to the podcast, Louise. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. So how about we start off with talking about The Racing Post and, and sort of the heritage of the publication, but also what the business now looks like right now? Sure. Well, The Racing Post is a publisher of sports betting and racing information. It was set up as a newspaper in 1986. So we've got you know, quite a, a, a long heritage within the, within the UK. And we have evolved particularly in the last 10 years to be a digital publisher. I, you know, I think we're, we're going through that digital transformation that everybody, everybody talks about in publishing. And we now um, provide our content to customers on um, apps, on our website, and we syndicate quite a lot of content as well to uh, to bookmakers and to other third parties who might have people interested in, in horse racing and betting. The business has, as a consequence of this digital transformation, has changed quite a lot. And I think the biggest change is from being a, a newspaper, deriving our uh, revenues from uh, circulation sales and advertising, we are now a um, largely digital business and we derive our sales from circulation still and advertising still but we've also changed our model so that on our digital products we have integrated a number of bookmakers so that people can read the information they'd always read from the Racing Post and then open an account with one of those bookmakers or bet with those bookmakers through our products and that means we've changed our business model so we are part affiliate we'd like to say a super affiliate and we are part the traditional publisher we've always been mm-hmm. and the other way we've changed is that we we don't just sell our content through the newspaper we have a paywall on our website as well so we we sell subscriptions to our product for people who want premium data and premium information 
And um, one of the things we were thinking was particularly interesting about the Racing Post is you obviously have a very engaged audience already, which I know a lot of marketers would probably dream of. But could you just talk us through the sort of pros and cons of, of that? Yeah, I, I mean, we, we do. We're, we're a publisher, but we're a very niche publisher. And we are, you know, we are publishing for people who love racing and betting and betting on sports. And yes, they are very engaged and we're very lucky. And we also, we're a media owner as well. You know, we have, mm-hmm. we have lots of, of ways to, in which we can talk to our customers, mm. you know, whether that's through CRM or through social. You know, we've built lots of different platforms as a result. So it's fantastic to have uh, a, a group of engaged customers and we love to have dialogue with them as much as possible. But we need to keep filling the putting people into mm-hmm. the funnel yeah. so mm-hmm. it's essential for us and especially as in this role as an affiliate that we keep you know driving people to our products new users and new customers and to keep having stuff that's enticing for them to come on board and and, and become racing post customers so yes we're very lucky we've got a strong core but that in itself i don't think is going to grow the business in the way that we want to grow it globally and certainly if we wanted to which we which we do uh, to expand into other sports Okay, okay. As well, so so we're not just about racing. Okay. We are actually able to give people great information on whatever they want to place bets on, or or even mm-hmm. just enjoy a bit more. I'm kind of curious, coming back to this sort of filling the top of the funnel, getting more more customers, new customer acquisition, and growth through that. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the things that, that you've been doing that, that have been really effective in that sense? We've been doing quite a lot, albeit that it's in, a, in, in quite an, a niche area, as I, as I mentioned before. First thing that we do is we've been on television. We, we think that is a sort of the, the main plank, if you like, of our brand awareness has mm. been uh-huh. television, but very, very targeted television. So for us, TV is, uh, is an easier way to get to our audience without too much wastage because we only advertise really during the racing mm-hmm. and on ITV when it's showing racing. So yeah. that means we're not wasting a lot. And we also uh, target uh, the big meetings. So that's in terms of strategy, that's what we decided that we we should do and we have been doing for the last few years. The Cheltenham Festival is huge for us, Aintree and the Grand National and Royal Ascot. We have quite a lot of impact, I think, on on TV for those festivals. Uh And this year we've also been on radio as well. So we've been on TalkSport. So we buy very select spots. But very, very targeted to to those, and we you know we've done a lot of analysis on that, and we know that obviously that's where our, not only our existing audience but our potential audience is because yeah. we're basically trying to get all those people who who like racing and who might be using competitors or they might be not using stuff all the time or they might be going directly to their bookmaker, and we're trying to get in to, to sort of insert ourselves in the relationship between the customer and the bookmaker. So that's the first thing we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do a, a lot of work on our SEO, so we're very committed to that. We buy paid advertising, digital advertising, PPC, and through the networks at those peak times as well. And we probably have a little bit going on throughout the year. We are upping our efforts in terms of content marketing. So we're trying to improve our video output in particular so that we can can get a a better reach from what we're doing on on video through our social channels and further. Mm -hmm. And potentially that's commercial opportunity as well because we might be able to get that stuff kind of sponsored too. We do a lot of CRM activity. So we've got a quite a big database and we're trying to, you know, turn people on at those certain times of year as well. So I, I guess in terms of trying to find new users um, and new customers and driving them, drive them to us, the main things we do, a lot of TV, radio around the key events, mm-hmm. and we, do digi- we, we buy digital advertising and we try and use our SEO and our position as a publisher to try and draw people in for organic search. 
And, and if you sort of move down the funnel, so you know, talked about this engaged audience, what are the ways you're using your different channels to keep them engaged and, and get them spending more and doing those sorts of things? We use CRM uh, a yeah. lot. We contact our customers a lot through email primarily I'd say and we we do things like you know uh, you know these are our articles of the week and have you seen this is the these are the best back horses this afternoon and have you have you seen what this tipster has tipped for this race and we try and make mm. it as personalized and as specific as we can and we also have a lot of messages going up on on our products as well so it's interstitials and banners through our mobile products so that there's constant sort of reminders to people to look at our content or to bet with us or to open an account or to engage with us in different ways and then social again we use our social channels and we've got like over i think we've got approaching 250,000 followers on on twitter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we try and you know give them content all the time and sort of again that sort of dialogue with them about the racing that day or what's going on yeah. who we fancy uh-huh. or the match that's going on tonight and what we reckon who we reckon's going to win and you know that kind of stuff that's going to prompt debate and uh, and engagement I'm interested in what kind of tone of voice you take as well when you're talking to it because you know obviously there's people like Paddy Power who take a very very specific tone of voice yeah. when they're talking in your marketplace. What kind of tone of voice does the Racing Post have? Well, I think we we can't be Paddy Power, okay? Mm-hmm. So and we shouldn't be Paddy Power. We have to stand for quality mm-hmm. and we have to stand for credibility and authority uh, and all of you know all of those things and I think that's why people have you know been buying our products and know us for like you know nearly coming up to 35 years so we've got to reflect mm. that in our tone of voice so we've got to do all that but we've yeah. got to have a little twinkle in the eye yeah as you know you've got to have we can't be it's that would be too bone dry so when yeah. we, we just we have to we have to reflect the language of our customers well so we have to you know some of that betting jargon or that racing jargon yeah. Yeah. that would terrify a, a newcomer to the sport we have to play that back to our customers because i think they look at us as 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 the authority and as the yeah. experts and there's the bible and these are words that come out time and time again in the research that we've done mm. and we have to and we have to show that so in fact all of our output whether it's the marketing messaging but particularly the editorial content has to reflect that quality that credibility that impartiality mm-hmm. that you know without fear or favor and that that extends across the across the company really speaking of your your customer tell tell us a bit more about them well they're blokes <laughs> <laughs> i'm stunned <laughs> First and foremost, uh, we have a large uh, 95% male audience, which Mm. will be a surprise to mm, not that many people, I think. (laughs) It's a surprise. It was quite that high. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's interesting. You know, I have some views, my own personal views about the difference between men betting and women betting. And I'm basically women just don't bet in the same way that men bet if they do bet at all you know it's a huge generalization but i do not believe that women bet in the same way that men bet uh, but i will that's that's probably for another day yeah. so our customers primarily um male they are so our core customer they are a little bit older perhaps they've got a bit more time on their hands they like to study form i'd actually i would break them into two so we have a core our core committed customer who's using our products all the time and they very much follow that profile so slightly okay. a bit older sort of um, you know, maybe 64 is an average we've, mm-hmm. okay. we found out when we've been doing our profiling um, yeah so a bit of time on their hands loves the racing totally imbued in racing bets you know numerous times uh, a week maybe numerous times a day follows sport follows racing religiously 
and probably doesn't have that many other hobbies. Probably like sport, but probably this is the real this focus for them. They really love racing and they might have some kind of investment in racing, whether they've got a horse or they've got someone who knows okay. something about something. So that's our core audience. And then we have our, our kind of growth audience. And those are the more, it's a bit younger profile, more of a recreational better, mm. I'd say. So betting maybe once a week, betting with their friends, using uh, betting to sort of enhance their, the event that they're watching mm -hmm. or going to. Very much part of the camaraderie of that, that, their friendship. So they might mm. go to the pub on the way to the football or they might uh, share a WhatsApp group with each other. And they're sort of swapping tips and you know, they haven't got the time mm. that, that other, the, the core audience has. They want information quickly. They want information, tips. They want tips. They don't have to do a lot of study for it. But they want to know that what they want to look like. They know what they're talking about. Okay, so they, those would uh, those would be the main two audiences. We also probably have another audience who's on the industry sort of trade side, mm -hmm. uh, and so we have to we have to sort of service those people as well who are interested in racing from the perspective of their job because they work within yeah. the industry. But in terms of the sort of consumer audience, I'd say those two uh, would be our profiles. Does that surprise you? I guess I'm interested in that where this growth audience is coming from. I yeah. think, given that core audience is, I hope I don't offend anyone by saying old. Yeah, it is what it is, right? But yeah. but how do you get more people in and engaged, and you know, not necessarily convert those more sort of casual recreational customers into everyday a week type thing, but just get more of them? It's a big big marketing challenge. It, it is a big challenge, but it's it's very interesting how the market has changed uh, over the last. 10 years particularly like those so there's now there's a lot of people who um and you'll have seen it if you watch any football match ever you know you'll see the bookmakers advertising in those football matches all the time mm -hmm. so there's people betting on football and those recreational betters who literally wouldn't have had a bet 20 years ago like they wouldn't they wouldn't be betting on dogs and horses yeah by going into a betting shop they, the whole industry has opened up because of the digital advancement and mm. mobile in particular. So yeah. mobile has allowed the bookmakers to kind of uh, access a different audience. Mm. And that audience wants to bet on football a lot of the time. And our challenge from the Racing Post point of view is, OK, we either need to cover football and try and make make some money from those people betting on football and try again inserting ourselves between the bookmaker and the customer can mm. we give them really good information and then can we make some commercialize it somewhere along the line or getting them interested in racing mm. so that they mm -hmm. they do everything with us if you see, yeah. if you see what i mean so that that is that is a challenge yeah and one of the things um Cantor publishes is something called brand z which is like a global brand valuation index and for the first year this year we've seen amazon be the number one brand globally and that's sort of an ind indicative of a wider trend we've seen of brands building their own sort of ecosystems and really getting themselves into sort of more aspects of the life of, of consumers to, to be successful. I don't know if you could just talk about how Racing Post have approached that because it sounds like... Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
something you guys are doing as well very much i think every every business should be doing this so you're trying to get make your customers stickier you're trying mm. to get your customer customers more invested in 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 different areas of your business we are we are a super affiliate so that we we are trying to uh, encourage people instead of going and betting with their bookmaker that they they do their whole journey with us if you like so if even if they're going to bet with their bookmaker on a horse race they're going to want to have some information about that horse race and we're suggesting get that information from racing post that's the best place for it mm -hmm. and then you can bet really quickly through our products and in that way you can open an account with us and bet with us and that and that's a way of getting people using our products more often yeah and with the subscription i suppose it's pretty it's pretty obvious isn't it we're giving people people are paying for, to, to have access to certain content that not everybody has that mm -hmm. gives those people an edge which they you know want to use all the time for their for their hobby it, it's very simple we're locking them in trying to get them to use the products because they're paying for it and and, yeah. and we're the only place where you can get that kind of information so yeah like the idea of an ecosystem and if there are other areas other ways in which we can do that then we would be exploring those as well mm. so syndicating our content having our content uh, branded content on a bookmaker's website as well is yeah. is, a, is another mm -hmm. part of that too yeah. but yeah i think it's a really it's a really clever way of looking at it i wonder about syndicating your content onto the bookmaker because then you're sort of giving away the value i mean I, I, yeah. I, my sense is you want to be the hub absolutely look I mean it's, this has been a, a debate within the business <laughs> yeah. I've been there 11 years uh, I can't remember not having this debate <laughs> uh, and I've sort of slightly reconciled uh, myself to it now but in the early days the argument would be why on earth I, I would view the bookmakers uh, having content as competing with us mm. why would we want to syndicate our content to them in order for them to compete with us that's madness but it's not madness because I think um, if I take a, a different view of that I think okay well actually that's been commercialized. You know, that, mm. that syndication has been commercialized. Great. Um, our brand is being seen by customers that we don't potentially have at the moment. That's great. And if they like the content, they might want to find more and come to us. So, yes, it's, it's yeah. a really good question. It's not one that sits completely easy. I don't think it's completely easy with any marketing person. Mm. But I think in a, in a, a business like ours is how I would describe it as sort of sweating our assets as mm. much as we yeah. possibly can. And I think like any business nowadays, especially publishers, have to do that. So at times, there are pressure points and mm. there are times when you have to make difficult decisions that don't feel altogether comfortable. And I suppose that would be one of those, but mm. I think it's the right thing to do. Well, it's, I guess a more customer-centric perspective anyway. They're, they're going to be all over these different sites, be it bookmakers, yourselves, maybe even competitors, news in general. So why not pop up wherever the yeah. customer lives, essentially, yeah. which yeah. I think yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as long as you can commercialize that every step along the way right right exactly <laughs> and then and exactly. then it fits yeah, yeah. Well, and then it goes back to what you're saying about your brand it's about the authoritative knowledge isn't it about the expertise yeah exactly i mean they the bookmakers have a, a have different issue when it comes to content in that they are probably not seen as credible by customers they're not seen as independent they're not seen as impartial it's a bookmaker mm. why would a bookmaker want to give you you know tips yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> you know, yeah, you know. Give you the wrong tips right <laughs> right exactly so at least i think by by you know having racing post brand there yeah. yeah that is a very quick shortcut to okay that's independent and that's getting it from a really good source and that's good for the customers and the bookmakers recognize that you talked at the beginning of the podcast, Louise, about uh, the move you're making from just being a publisher and a newspaper to this affiliates you have. I mean, how do you see that evolving over the next five to ten years? Do you ever see a time when you almost wouldn't be publisher first? I actually don't think we'll ever not be a publisher. I think look, we're a publisher first and foremost. Yeah. And I think, I think you have to ground yourself in something. And I think we ground ourselves in 
expert information and that's what we put expert information insight and all that stuff and we have to publish that and we have to be known for that Mm -hmm. so I think if you flip too much the other way then what are you known for what are your standards so I think you know in the next few years as I mentioned we will hopefully expand into globally providing our insight information on racing around the world on other sports around the world in other places as much as we can and yes we want to be a really really good affiliate and we want to grow the affiliate side as much as we can but I, I don't think it's to the detriment of being a of being a publisher I think it, it depends whether you mean being a publisher in terms of selling content because I think if you're selling content you have to be very aware of that I mean customers these days are just much much yeah. much harder to convert to, mm-hmm. to buying online buying digitally so you have to be cognizant of that and I think we'd be unrealistic if we're going to say that's going to go on forever and it's going to be that's that's the area of growth there are other areas that are more fruitful for us to follow I think um, we wanted to just talk now a little bit more about your role sort of internally and with the marketing mm-hmm. department and just thinking about some of the work you've done to try and bring to life within the business some of the values that you guys have as racing page so if you could just talk a little bit about that yeah no I'd love to I wear two hats in mm-hmm. the racing post so I'm um, I run the marketing function but I also chair with the HR director Pauline Nelson uh, we chair the people and culture group and the reason Pauline and I chair it so someone from HR and someone from marketing is that actually we are much stronger together than we are apart so yeah. uh, <laughs> so uh, so we're a publisher years ago we we're part of the Trinity Mirror group and we were based in Canary Wharf mm-hmm. when I joined 11 years ago we became independent again and we were, but we were still based in, in Canary Wharf and we we're still very much a publisher and it's still very much felt like a publisher. Crowded office, not a brilliantly inspirational, digital focused environment. And we decided to move office. So we moved office and we're now situated on the South Bank. Great new offices. And I was quite involved in branding of those offices like pool table, breakout areas, pods, terrace. And we actually thought this is such a massive opportunity mm-hmm. right moving office is such a massive mass- to reset the culture of this business and we are fortunate in that we're owned by exponent private equity they believe that culture eats strategy for lunch well i heard that i heard that in one of their in one of their conferences anyway so i'm quoting it and i'm attributing it to them in, in other words they really believe in culture mm-hmm. and they really think that it's worth investing in culture that was really great so you know then you have the backing of your owners and we sort of set about how are we going to do this aside from the environment? We set up the people and culture team, which was made up of various leaders in the business and people from every department. They don't have to be uh, on the leadership team. Mm. They just have a view about the culture of our business. And we sent a survey out to everyone in the business saying, what do you think? What do you want the racing place to look like? How do you want it to be? What kind of company do you want us to be? And that came back. And, you know, even when we were moving office, things like, do you want us to have a coffee machine? Do you want fruit? Do you want a dartboard? Do you want that? Even mm. small questions like that. And lots of stuff came back. And then we sort of set about doing that with the environment. And then we decided that we needed some values, okay, some values that reflected the business as, as we saw it. So we asked staff again. Mm-hmm. And this is my one thing that I would say is that if you are uh, embarking on any sort of cultural change, cultural evolution, just involve as many people as you can all the time because Mm. those are the people for whom it has to be authentic Mm. and for whom it has to mean something Um, and so that's what we did so we involved people and they came up with ideas and we sort of processed them and we sort of came up with the first draft of values and then we sort of pressure tested them with a load of people and we refined them and refined them and we got to a place through staff involvement and leadership team involvement where we were quite happy with them and then we said okay we've got these six values we don't want to call them values we want to call them postmarks 
as in the racing post mark uh-huh. uh-huh. because well. we because uh, <laughs> we wanted the, them to be unique and fully unique to us as well and then we said okay well how do we make this really memorable for everybody because one of the issues with values are that they just sit somewhere on a wall or on a piece of paper no one looks at them no one really knows what they are and they just somehow don't pervade into the culture of the business as mm. much as they should anyway so what we try to do to counteract that is get people, bear in mind we're a very, very sporty environment. Like most, most people I know who I work with love sport, loves watching sport, loves yeah. playing mm-hmm. sport. We said, okay, we'd like you all to nominate the, the sporting person who best reflects the values. Oh. Okay, so our values are united, ambitious, supportive, passionate, innovative and agile. Those are six words we thought would encapsulate the business. And so we asked people to, to nominate their sports people. What that did, it got everybody yeah. interested. Everyone sort of competed with each other. Who's going to, you know, I've suggested this person. So we chose for United, we chose the All Blacks. Mm-hmm. For Ambitious, we chose Serena Williams. Mm. Supportive, we chose the Brownlee Brothers. For Passionate, we chose Muhammad Ali. For Innovative, we chose Johan Cruyff. And for Agile, we chose a, a racehorse called Arkel who happened to win in London under lots of different distances, under lots of different weights. So that was brilliant. And then we, the agency we, um, we use, Sell Sell, then sort of created a, a, an identity for them. And we integrated that into the office so that it's not just a piece of paper on a wall. They are actually within the fabric of the office, if you will. They look mm. like decoration in the office, all the values. If you came to our office, you'll see on one wall, there's a picture of Serena Williams in this you know, illustrative style. Mm-hmm. Another wall, there's Muhammad Ali. And we've got stuff all around the place. And we sort of etched it and we put it on mugs and we etched them on, on the pods that we got outside in our, on our terrace. And then we presented. So we did that overnight. And then that day, we presented everybody the new values. And we showed clips of all of those sporting stars to show how they embodied the value. And they were quite emotional, some of these <laughs> clips, and I found myself sort of welling up watching mm-hmm. the Muhammad Ali film. And, and, but what, it, what that did, I think, I hope, is that made them really resonate. Mm-hmm. It made them really resonate with our audience, and that made it really, uh, in a way that I think just having the words wouldn't have yeah. done. And it's interesting because one of the ways we've used behaviours in Kantar is to help people think about the how they do things, not just the what they do. So so our values are um, helping others flourish, having a growth mindset and purposeful collaboration. So it gives the opportunity, even if someone's got to the end of the year and hit beyond their sales targets, but they've not done it in a very collaborative way and they've not done it in a way that helps others flourish. We have the ability to have that conversation about yeah. the difference between the what and the how. Absolutely. Have, is that is that the way you've used your values as yeah, well? Yeah, that is actually. It's, you know, our CEO, Alan Byrne, describes them as how we do things around here. Mm. I think mm. we've nicked that for someone else as well. But, you know, that is what culture is, how we do things around here. So it's not the what at all. And in fact, we've put all of our postmarks into the appraisal into the appraisal scheme. Like that's the only way. If you really believe in them, that's mm-hmm. the only way to get them integrated yeah, we, we, and part of. Uh, yeah. Um, and I think what are your values? What are your values? Transformational, collaborative, respectful, purposeful, entrepreneurial, and excellence. No, you have to make it tangible. You have to make. Mm. It. So what we the other thing we did aside from the the appraisals is we launched the postmaster scheme. And the postmaster scheme is saying to everybody in the business: if you see someone displaying one or all of the postmarks nominate them for mm. a postmaster award that what a postmaster award is every month we draw out of a hat someone to win 250 quid 100 quid 50 quid and then everybody who gets nominated throughout the year goes into a draw to win two and a half grand mm. okay and then nice. we wanted it to be really big and powerful so yeah. Many, yeah. yeah so and, and i think we've had over 500 nominations so far it's probably seven months or something since we launched oh. it so then every month we have a whole 
you know, there's some ritual around the drawing of the of the names, and everyone comes up and everyone gets clapped, and <laughs> that's that as well. That as well helps to embed. Like you could embed yeah. them in. And to, to your point before about why I was involved is that I think the marketing people tend to be quite good at this kind of stuff. Yeah. Like yeah. we're quite good at the communication side of things, and mm. we're quite good at about thinking about how to make something successful and visually impactful you know and I, and I think that we already have internal comms within the marketing function this is just a really and a big extension of that really mm-hmm. I think if, so, if a marketing person isn't involved it's a campaign isn't it mm. yeah, it's a campaign exactly. but your audience happens to be internal that's mm. actually they're the most important audience of all in lots of ways mm-hmm. so I think you know marketing people should always be involved in, in this kind of thing in, in my view and I just wanted to sort of touch on that and take it back to where we started the conversation around the sort of external activities you guys are doing. What I mean, what effect do you believe these values have had on your success communicating with your audience and your marketing activity? I think they've they've encouraged a different approach. Um, so if you think that we've got united mm-hmm. and supportive mm-hmm. and agile as part of those, so all of that stuff requires us to work hard with editorial, hard with product, collaboratively to get the best results and I think it means ultimately we'll get something done quicker and get something more thought through and it'll be we've done the right thing use the right people also like this kind of thing in terms of our our standing as a business is very important and as a as a recruiter aside from our customers which I'll I'll come back to but like I think by doing these and having these values I think we're more appealing for somebody yep. who's thinking about coming to work for us because it looks like we know what we're doing it looks like we put you know we, we do put <laughs> a lot of attention to, into into our people and um, we're trying to create a people first culture and I think that is that is appealing as well and then I think also corporately it helps we look more attractive mm-hmm. as a business because we've got a really well-defined yeah. set of values and a really well-defined culture especially if that's been endorsed by our owners in, in, in a way and I think that's I think we've got to you know, sort of bear that stuff in mind but yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it's upped our level and yeah. our standard and the mm-hmm. way that we, uh, do we, we do things, yeah. exactly, and, and produce work. And all of our uh, corporate values ladder up into our brand values as mm. well. Our brand values are authority that's trusted, so that's supportive and agile, customer focus, again, relentless innovation, expert edge, and unmatched passion. Mm-hmm. And you can see they're not the same words, but you can so see they're very yeah. similar yeah. To, to them, yeah. listening to future proof for all episodes and more information visit uk.cantar.com or oxfordfutureofmarketing.com please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe within your podcast app so you know when new episodes are released thank you